the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You profess faith in Christ. Well, that's a good thing. What is your confession? What does that include? What does it entail? And why is it so important? We'll take a look at that next, here on Abounding Grace. Join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Greetings. Welcome to our program today. We're in Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 18 through 22, and the importance of our confession of faith. Oh, we can all say, I believe in Jesus, but what does that mean? How is that fleshed out? Is there meat to the bones of that statement? Well, join us as we examine together Luke chapter 9. Here's our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Whenever you hear the phrase, the Son of Man, think first of all, sovereign, and then think king, for he is a sovereign, triumphant king. But what is interesting is that Jesus gives this phrase just a little twist when he uses it and blends it in with another passage of Scripture. Because when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, this glorious figure who ascends to God and is given this universal kingdom over all things, our text says, he suffers. He is a sovereign who suffers. So you see these two words, sovereign and suffering, that must go together when you hear the phrase, the Son of Man. Here you see a blending of two of the greatest passages of the Old Testament. Daniel 7, that speaks of a sovereign king. And Isaiah 52 and 53, that has the theme of a suffering servant who comes to save his people from their sin. So let's look at Isaiah 52, verse 13, and we'll go through to Isaiah 53, 6. Now, This is a passage that if you truly are reading your scripture regularly, you would almost think it was from the New Testament. So we'll read Isaiah 52, 13 to Isaiah 53, 6, and then I'm going to jump over to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 53. So 52 beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astoned at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that, would, that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hide, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So you see, there is this blending in the gospel. Who is this Messiah, the Son of the living God? He is the triumphant, all-conquering sovereign, the Son of Man, who condescended to be the suffering servant and have laid upon him all the punishment and the effects of our sins that he might deliver us from all of them. If you notice in Luke 9 and verse 22, you see a phrase that seems to bring all of Isaiah 53 together, and that is the phrase, suffering many things. The word to suffer has a root that means to bear or to endure. And as we just read, surely our sins he bore and he endured. And the many things that he bore is the totality of human guilt on the cross. Now there's another word that I would like you to notice that Jesus said in Luke 9:22, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now that word must is an essential part of our confession of faith. Must expresses divine necessity. That is, Jesus Christ suffered, was rejected, experienced a violent death and a bodily resurrection. Why? Because God predestined these things to happen. It was God's intention from all eternity to provide salvation through a suffering Savior. So you see in Luke, Jesus saying again, the Son of Man must suffer and die. I must go to Jerusalem. It is necessary that I do this and I do that. And in each of these incidences, Jesus is saying that my death on the cross was something God planned before time began. And I voluntarily submitted myself to God's plan. In Acts 4 verses 27 and 28, we see the significance of that word must spelled out to us in detail. It says, for truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever my God's hand and my purpose predestined to occur, must occur. So when Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer and be killed and be raised again, he is saying, I am voluntarily Submitting myself 
to the eternal plan of God. No one is forcing me to do this. I'm not going to suffer and be rejected and die in Jerusalem because I'm a weak man. I'm going to do it because I am in submission to my Father's will. Remember what Jesus said in John 10. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't because he couldn't help it. It wasn't because he had no power to stop it. It was because of the joy, he says, that was set before him, that he endured the cross, not despising the shame. The joy of seeing seeing his people saved. The joy of obeying God and glorifying Him by His obedience for His death was planned from all eternity by Christ Himself of His own free will because He loved us. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross for us. Now, beloved, we can't fully understand the significance of that. Because of our own selfishness. Voluntarily giving your life for a rebellious people. And when Jesus explains his mission, it shocks the disciples so much. That in Matthew's account, we are told, Peter resisted. He says, oh no, Jesus, I'll keep you off the cross. I'll defend you. Notice what the text says. He suffered many things. He would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He would be killed by wicked men and a holy God. Remember Isaiah 53.10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. You see, the thing the Bible emphasizes about the death of Jesus is not so much the gruesome, the physical torment. The Bible is very restrained, very restrained and very modest in the description of the physical torment of Jesus in his suffering and death. Think about it. What's emphasized in the gospel is not what man did to Jesus on that Friday. The emphasis is on what Jesus did. And God poured out on him something eyes could not see. And that is the entirety and the eternity of hell for all of those for whom Christ died. And then Jesus said on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. Now my friends, what I have just explained to you today in pointing out the contents of This true confession of faith is very simply the gospel. It's the good news from God for you. The power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. So I simply ask you, do you truly believe it? Are you resting on this gospel as your only hope of acceptance with God before death, after death? And forever? Or have you somehow reduced it into believing another way to God, which is in fact no gospel at all?
The true gospel that I've described to you and all that it offers is for everyone who will believe it. And if you believe it today, it's all for you. You don't need to waste one more second to believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now and you and your family will be saved right now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come to the front of the church. You don't have to be baptized in order to experience the salvation that the gospel offers to you in Christ. It is yours for the taking and the receiving. For as many as received him to them, he gave the authority to be called the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now you may not believe him yet, because you might not recognize your need of the gospel. Perhaps you look at your life and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a pervert, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not a murderer or an embezzler, and I've lived a basic, ordinary life, a generally moral life. I don't believe anyone could describe my life as immoral or wicked, so it really hasn't occurred to me to do these things or even think about the gospel. Well, if that is you, listen to what Jesus has to say to you. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe has been condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, it is your unbelief that separates you from God. However moral, immoral your life has been, you already stand under the condemnation of God because you do not believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. Without faith in Jesus Christ, all of our morality, such as it is, is absolutely nothing. The Lord says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And God's indictment of human beings is clear and unequivocal. There is none righteous, not even you and me. There is none who does good, not even you or me. So then, my friend, believe what God says about you. As one person said, I have good news for you. You're worse than you think you are. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Therefore, these verses are for you. For a while, we were still helpless. But at the right time, God died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us all. Who did God die for? Helpless people. Ungodly people. Sinful people, unbelieving people like you and I. And friend, as a sinner today, you are completely qualified for receiving this gospel. Well, you ask, how can I be sure that if I, who has a life of regrets, believes in Christ, God will forgive and receive me? Let me read to you John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And this is his commandment that we should believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abides in us by His Spirit, which He hath given us. There is your guarantee from God. He commands you, whoever you are and whatever you have done, to believe in Jesus 
And if God commands you to believe in Jesus, that is your authorization from God assuring you that if you do believe in Jesus, he will accept you as his child. Well, you might ask, since faith is a gift of God, how do I know I'm even able to believe in Jesus? Well, my answer to you is simply, try it. Try believing in Jesus as if you have the strength to do so. And you will find that you will have the strength to do so, given to you by God himself. Now, what is the purpose of a confession? Why isn't it just enough to believe? Well, Scripture says that if thou shalt confess to believe with thy mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Again, thou shalt confess. Now, there are many purposes for a confession of faith. For instance, a credible confession of faith in Christ is the one requirement for becoming a member in Christ's church. When you, become before the, when you come before the elders and you join the church, they can't see into your hearts. And trust me, beloved, we don't care how much money you have in the bank. They listen to your confession of faith. Is it credible? Is it believable? And if it is believable, it is that confession of faith that brings you into the church. Also, a common confession of faith where everyone confesses the same thing, such as in our Westminster Confession of Faith and shorter and larger and shorter catechism, is the basis for unity in the church. If a church is ever to experience real unity of life and a sense of oneness and camaraderie, then it must have a unity in its confession. Why? Because two can't walk together unless they are agreed. Unity in the truth and in a confession of the truth are essential to unity in the church. Third, a common and written confession of faith is an effective tool in educating your children and new converts in the Christian church. But you say, where do you start and what do you teach? Well, get the shorter catechism. And those of you who attend here regularly, bring your young ones to our catechism class. And then you move on to the larger catechism and into the confession itself. It's a great tool, beloved. Daddy, what do you believe? Here it is. Let me tell you what we believe. And here are all the ramifications of what we believe. And not only is the Westminster Confession of Faith a great tool in educating your children, there are even great books out there to help you teach your children the catechisms and the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's so many tools to raise your children up in the faith, beloved. A common confession of faith is also a wonderful and effective tool in evangelism. Just using the shorter catechism, going over the questions and answers one by one, with someone who is showing an interest in the Lord, can be very effective. And also, remember what we said earlier. Christ said He would use your credible confession of faith to build His church on this earth. 
And moreover, a credible confession of faith is evidence of true faith and of a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he says, but with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So beloved, confess what you believe, and believe what you confess, and live what you confess and believe. Confess what you believe, And believe what you confess and live what you confess and believe. Always be learning about the meaning of your confession. Believe what you learn and confess to your families and others what you learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. If your confession of faith is to be credible to your family or to anyone else, make sure that your daily life backs up your confession. Or please... Keep your mouth shut. If your confession of faith is going to be credible in the lives of people you rub shoulders with every day, make sure your everyday life backs up your confession. In fact, that's what James 2 specifically makes reference to. Listen. What use is it, my brother, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? In other words... He has no life to back up his faith. Can that faith or profession of faith save him? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. You believe God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But you are willing, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? If your confession of faith is going to be used by God, In your everyday life, you've got to walk the talk. That is, your daily life must support your profession of faith. What you believe. Let me leave you with these valuable words from Pastor Joe Moorcraft in his first volume of Authentic Christianity, an exposition of the theology and ethics of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Beloved, this is a four-volume set. And it is perhaps the greatest work ever done on the larger catechism. And he's the friends of many of us here. He says, A vital relation exists between faith and life, belief and conduct, creed and character. A person lives like he lives because he thinks like he thinks. As man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. What people believe, they become. Truth embraced by the mind prints goodness on the character and behavior, and error prints evil. Therefore, we must guard our minds from doctrinal error and our lives from ethical evils. But we must do more than this. To obtain the goodness of character, we must begin with faith in God Faith in Christ, faith in God's Word. We must believe us true. Everything the Bible teaches simply because the Bible, which is the very Word of God, teaches it. This book is the very Word of the living God. And we must confess its contents to the world, my friends. And that should be the dearest thing to our heart. Proclaim to the world, beloved, 
Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who came to take away the sins of the world. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Inflame our hearts to proclaim your truths to this sin-sick world without compromise. Make it the number one priority of our lives to share the gospel and live the gospel out in our lives before others in such a way that others are drawn to you. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.